Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reish, your host. Very excited about a very special show today. One I've been wanting to do for years. Um, I, I learned about the artwork and, and the beautiful uh, icons that this man has painted. Uh, his name is Michael Galovich. He's prepared a book like this. You may have seen this around, Icons and Art, um, and it's won awards. And we're going to learn about him, a bit of his uh, background and some of the uh, artworks that he's done, but also what is an icon. And let's get an appreciation in this episode about the amount of work that goes into these, these things. It's a great uh, form of art, but it's a, a great way to get in touch with God and the infinite and eternal. We're going to learn about that now. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hello. Thank you. So glad you can come uh, in, in the flesh. Uh, I've uh, known about your works for over uh, 22 years now. And through a common friend, a former student of yours, uh, Father Chris Alexander, who was my, my first ever spiritual director. He, and I, I learned and, and learned about your icons through him. And uh, he had some of his own works that he, he painted. And he said he learned from his teacher. And that was you. And uh, just fell in love with him. And I, I actually have, um, uh, he's given me a, an icon of Saint Charbel. Uh, I have, uh, I've seen, which is beautiful. And... Yeah, just, just want to thank you for the work you've done. The legacy you've got uh, across the country, uh, we see your work um, around the place. Um, and so, so thank you very much for your contribution over the last 30, 33 years in Australia and the church in Australia. Thank you, Sharbel, for your kind words. My pleasure. Nah, <coughs> I mean it. Uh, I, I, want, I want people to know a bit about your background. It's a, it's a colourful one. It's an adventurous one. Uh, you were born in Yugoslavia, uh, but then you travelled for quite some time before coming to Australia. So could we just, uh, yeah, a bit about your history there, upbringing, and, and what took you out of Yugoslavia to travel the world, um, learn countries and cultures? So could we, could we get a bit about your upbringing there? Um, yes. Um, <clears throat> I recall when I was um, even in, um, well, I was born in Yugoslavia in 1949, uh, graduated the Academy of Arts in 1974. But I recall uh, talking about this sort of um, uh, intrinsic, uh, deeply seated uh, need for traveling, even in my, like from my secondary school, like uh, uh, I would be daydreaming during the school time uh, about another country where I would go. So I would go home and then say to my parents, I know where I'll go. I'll go to Greece. Then the following day I say, I oh, know, I'll go to China. Then, <laughs> then the next day I'm going to wherever. And then the fourth day my parents uh, would kind of beat me to it, asking me, so, okay, where are you going now? So uh, <laughs> the thing is that um, I'm one of those who do talk about uh, their dreams, but I am also Fortunately enough, one who uh, works on realizing those dreams, make them uh, happen, really come true. So uh, the moment I could, at the age of 20, I started traveling through Europe and uh, it did not stop uh, ever since from that point on. Uh, that was more or less also the time when I started painting icons, which is kind of uh, curiously coincidental. Um, so I managed pretty much the whole of Europe uh, during my uh, schooling time and uh, those three months that I had off 
uh, at the Academy of Arts, like uh, July, August and September, but then felt a need and urge to see the beyond, like uh, remote countries, more exotic countries, much more than Europe. The Europe was already kind of, how would I say, uh, known and predictable, although it's, uh, it's uh, not, not a good way to say it, because it is so rich and so sated in, in the history and, and quality that we always go back to it. Uh, so that um, when I, before I graduated actually, I decided that I would quit art because it was obvious that if you want to do something in art, you have to dedicate yourself fully and more than fully to, to the art making. And then with a completely insecure uh, uh, prospects, whether you would do make something there or not make, there are many artists and uh, to make living out of it was difficult. And I kind of traded for easily for the, the two other loves that I had, that obsession for traveling and mm. interest and love for languages. So uh, I did combine the two over 15 years. So no, I got the diploma, as I said, then uh, started traveling to remote countries and uh, living there, actually. So you asked me earlier, uh, what did I do there? Well, in Spain over three years, I was a tour guide and supervisor. And the only reason why I stopped doing that is just because the, the economy in Yugoslavia went down in the 1980 and they stopped doing the tourism there in, in Spain and I was revoked to the country. Otherwise, I would have stayed uh, my whole life in Spain. I was absolutely oh, wow. besotted by Spain. Wow. Uh, then I went to Iraq uh, as a translator for a constructing company. The Iraq uh, led to Libya, uh, sorry, before that I went to Libya first and then to Iraq for two years. So all in all, between Libya and Iraq, it was three years. Translator from, translator what, what from to Serbian what to English and okay. English to Serbian, okay. which also led me afterwards for the same company to be a translator for French in the Francophone Africa, in Gabon and Ivory Coast. Wow. So that was like another three years and another few years that I was working as a translator in the office there. But uh, because I always wanted to live elsewhere and I don't know exactly why, because there was nothing wrong either politically or economically in my life, I just simply thought that uh, the paradise must be somewhere else, but certainly not where I am. So I came to Australia and uh, loved the place so much, embraced the place so much soon after or upon our arrival that I decided to stay here. And that makes those wow. 33 years um, that I have been here. So why do you say that? What makes Australia so nice? Uh, that's an interesting one for Australians to appreciate, but anyone who's yeah. wanting to come here. <clears throat> it, it is a, yeah, a, a question that I would answer, that I am answering now actually <laughs> differently than I was to answer 33 years ago. First of all, I can talk only in retrospect only about yes. Sydney. So I, course, yep. I kind of landed in Sydney and I, for some odd reason, landed in the eastern suburbs and I didn't know a single person in, in Australia. And that was very good. I liked the fact that I started from the absolute uh, uh, zero, you know, yes. not knowing anybody, not understanding anything and uh, not understanding the lingo and stuff like that. 
Anyway, so some pensioners had uh, took a shine on me and had time for me, took me around, and after two or three days, I could not believe that uh, Sydney is basically the type of place which I always wanted, like a great climate, uh, the topography is interesting, like it's dynamic, it's not a flat place. Yes. We have parks in the city, we have beaches in the city. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. And also I liked then there uh, the pace. I liked the fact that it was not overdeveloped. Yeah. I liked the fact that it was not over polluted, over uh, regimented as it is now. And uh, the fact that I could leisurely go by car to, to the city and park there somewhere in the center, do my stuff, then go back and everything was so kind of nice and relaxed. So that was Sydney then. Sydney yeah. now is uh, uh, something that is quite different. And that made me after 10 years uh, living in places like Bondi, Bondi Junction and Bondi, um, make me made me leave uh, Sydney uh, for the central coast where I have a house home and uh, studio because it was impossible to deal with Sydney anymore it was just <laughs> simply too Sounds big good. a place yeah. so also it coincides with the timing uh, the age I was 50 when I left uh, Sydney so I'm now 73 so it's just a natural urge to be closer to the nature to have more Piece, uh, which is more conducive to what I do, more space. I couldn't have that in Sydney. So that beautiful. is Central Coast is quite Central beautiful. Coast is nice uh, on the coast there as well. You've got the the ocean not too far from. That's there. correct. Yes, I'm near the next to the Tagara Lake that goes into the ocean. So wow, it is a wonderful uh, setting, so to say. So. Yes. Yeah. What? Why was Australia, Australia on your? Why did you come to Australia? Was it ah, just a, a, oh, no, a, no, it, it, Australia definitely was not on my uh, wish list uh, for some reason. Uh, it was just a, a, on recommendation of somebody that I come to Australia for six months, then it was possible as a tourist and see for myself. He recommended Sydney highly and I kind of semi-reluctantly came thinking that it's just uh, too far or uh, whatever it is, I don't know what I thought. But all of those things dispersed when I came. I said, I love the place. For some reason, I embraced it really wholly yeah, and crazy. truly. Fantastic. Now, um, you, you uh, got into, so you as an artist, um, so you said you left away. You did get back in Australia. So what, what sparked um, your interest or that, de that sort of uh, desire again? to get back into the arts, and, and do you remember then Icon specifically? How did that happen? Yes, um, uh, I did say that I traveled around and lived around for kind of 15 years, um, but I also would, uh, these jobs were all like a contract uh, mm -hmm. jobs, or, or even when they were not contract, when I was, um, a permanent employee of some company, I would still come back to my place in Belgrade and uh, maybe take uh, an unpaid leave for four months and then I would just paint icons uh, all the time because uh, I thought if I decided to quit art, which I was quite uh, 
strictly adhering to. Uh, I am not quitting on icons because icons are not art. That's how mm -hmm. I kind mm -hmm. of explained it to myself. And I, I'm still kind of behind that statement. So uh, I was sort of maintaining that kind okay, of uh, flame. And as I said to you earlier, when I got to Australia, uh, there was an itch just before I came to Australia to resume art. Mm. But obviously, I had to shake off the rust of those 15 years of not making art. I thought that uh, that is completely my personal uh, return, if you like. Uh, nothing to do with living, really. I, I couldn't imagine living on art at that point in time. So uh, I uh, then found the work as a, well, translator again, uh, interpreter rather, uh, for a company in Sydney and also the, the teacher or teaching the painting of icons in evening colleges and other colleges. And that kind of was enough to sustain me and gave me the possibility to work during the daytime. Uh, on icons and other art. Mm. Soon after my arrival here in Australia, I experienced um, something that was quite epiphanic, uh, quite profound, and uh, something that shook me to the core that I didn't uh, tell you earlier. So when that thing happened, uh, when I kind of uh, figuratively woke up from that uh, uh, event, I uh, felt an enormous, uh, how would I say, um, gate flood opening, uh, a floodgate opening. Uh, the enormous energy was released and suddenly enormous quantity of ideas and, and mm. the energy for creation, uh, artistic creation, was released. and I. That is the time when I, that I mentioned earlier to you that I could not even sleep because of so many ideas. And uh, I started uh, behaving a, a rather kind of strange. In a sense, I wouldn't uh, accept any kind of commitments or meetings during the day because I needed the daytime for daylight for work. Yes. And I also declined, refused to go to art exhibitions because I had my own ideas and, and I did not want a, any kind of outer influence, that's how I thought at least then. And for kind of a number of years, I, I wouldn't even go to the, to the exhibitions. I, I was kind of relying on my own art and trying to find myself completely mm. uh, from within after shaking that trust of not doing art and then uh, embarking on a new road kind of that was ahead of me. So that I resumed the art uh, practice on a again, obsessive level, a, a, again, as I said before, as if I'm now supposed to make up for the lost time, which was absolutely not lost. It was a huge experience that only actually helped me, of course, helped yeah. me focus and being uh, completely relaxed about uh, the world, not having a good idea what's going on yes. in the world. So I did not need to, to worry about that anymore. So I was fully focused yes. to what I was doing and that does help, doesn't it? I mean, the experience of uh, your worldview 
through your life experience is very valuable and, and, and you can't totally. underestimate. Do you okay. know how many countries you visited? I mean, is, I'm putting on the spot many, here. Many, many, yes, but I never the dozens, picked. I imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. 20, I can 30. only talk <laughs> about the other way around. I can only tell you uh, countries that I haven't <laughs> been to, which is not a fancy way of saying anything. It is true, really. Wow, wow. And uh, so, but I also, my idea of traveling uh, Shabal was uh, to kind of spend more time in those countries. I always yeah. wanted to live in those you countries. You weren't just passing through like, as a tourist I, for I a don't, week. And, uh, yeah, I don't like the ticking of yeah. like a uh, thing. Bucket like, list, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, like visiting some country in passing and then thinking that you have been to some country. You, you know actually nothing about it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I like to live in the country and feel the language, feel the... Wow. People feel the culture, feel the food and stuff like as much as I could, of course. Yes. So that that goes until now. And you learn the language. What are the language barriers? So, because you, you your native language is Serbian. That's right. Yes, my mother's tongue. Spain. Uh, you were there for years. You learned Spanish fluently. I knew actually Spanish before. That's oh, how wow. I got the job. Uh, oh, I okay. simply studied Spanish for my own uh, okay. interest. And at the time, there was hardly anyone in Belgrade who spoke Spanish. And so I got the job as somebody who speaks Spanish for the Spain there. Wow. And so after three years of there, I kind of, uh, yeah, was pretty good uh, with it. And then uh, in Iraq, of all places, I managed to uh, master my French because my constructing company uh, worked with French companies. Wow. And so I was uh, forced to speak French and, and uh, study and know French uh, 10 hours a day, six days a week and for, for two years. So I came out of that as a fully fledged uh, translator for French. That's how I was sent to uh, Gabon and Ivory Coast. Okay. And as such, basically, I came to Australia. I, my French was better than, than English uh, when I arrived here. Okay. And especially when we think of the lingo that I mentioned, the Australian lingo, like we are cooking with gas or things like yes. that. <laughs> that was absolutely for me. Love the sayings. And it's very hard in English. Uh, Spasmatic. Some of the uh, exceptions to the rule we have, and especially in Australia, we have even more sayings yeah. than you would pick up in America or England. Or <laughs> absolutely. So it was a fun. Um, so so four, that, four was the, that was the four yeah. languages. Wow. Plus afterwards in Australia, um, when I settled in, I continued that uh, uh, wish and that language kind of a quest. So I studied uh, Greek, contemporary Greek for a year and I studied Japanese uh, for a year because I was for four years part of the so-called uh, tea ceremony, which is called actually the, the way of tea in, in Japanese, chado or chanoyu if you like. So uh, I continue with these things in a sense I am planning to go to Japan um, to study it more and uh, to Greece as well, wow. like to, to be in the in situ, you know, to continue my studies in wow. situ. So this is my continuation of um, interest for languages. Yeah. Mm. Do you, I mean, be, being uh, of a Serbian background, but, and obviously is there a natural love for your country, but then Australia, you mentioned being resident here. Uh, are there other countries like just, uh, was Spain a highlight? Are there highlights in this time of your life? That, that you cherish uh, sort of stand out? Maybe, yes, yeah. maybe, yes. I didn't think about that. Uh, Spain definitely is there. And also Latino world, as, uh, mm. as you know, I spent years in Ecuador and even 
have connections, strong connections with Ecuador. Interesting. I'm South drawn Columbia. to the Latino world for some reason, mm -hmm. Hispano world, if you like, be it Spain or Latino America. I don't know why. I feel at home there. Yeah, Especially because my wife is Chilean, no? yes. uh, obviously being with her, I kind of uh, um, have that connection yeah, more realized. Oh, fantastic. Now, um, so, so you were painting icons throughout your life there before coming to Australia. You kept That's it right. going. What, um, do you have a memory? Do you, do you know what the first icon you did was? I, strangely enough, I do. Uh, it is a small icon of, it was a small icon of Archangel Michael uh -huh. that I can show you in some of the books. It is in the Trechakov Gallery in uh, Moscow. And I saw it in the original a few years ago when I went to the Icon Tour there. Um, probably the reason for picking up that particular one was just because it belongs to the simplest possible icons uh, that Russia kind of, or Russian styles have produced. It is mainly a linear work. And uh, so I got probably uh, an urge to, to make an icon and then I made the, the simple icon and that was my first uh, yeah, beautiful. of those can, icons. Can, now you have a beautiful um, book here, Icons and Art, and interesting, you distinguish the two. So icons and art. Can I ask you, before I even open this page to show some of our viewers, yes. what is an icon and why isn't it considered art? Mm. Is it not art? So what's sure, the difference? Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> we uh, would not be able to function in the world without definitions and classifications. Yeah. I, I am only f fully aware of that. But uh, the older I, I am getting, uh, the more uh, reluctant I am to uh, dwell on definitions. So even yeah. my own disting distinction between uh, icons and art has to be, is a complex question and has to be explained more properly. But let's say briefly, icons are, um, there is no uh, accepted definition of icons. Maybe the closest to it we could get the, the sacred art or mm -hmm. my own one is the, the sacred through art or something like this. The sacred through art. Through yeah. art, that's okay. right. That's a beautiful How do we get to sacred? Yes. We get through art. So it's yes. not like shoemaking or something no. else. It's just through art we get there. Yes. But what is art? We, we don't know actually what is art in a sense. M many people would come up with different definitions. But let's say art in general, uh, outside of icons, could be simply a manifestation of our own nature, our own thoughts, our own mm. desires, our take on the world, whatever it is the thing, through artistic means, like uh, through paints, through yes. uh, drawings or drawing tools or whatever it is. So art is completely free, uh, general art is completely free to express oneself in any way whatsoever. Yes. That could be the closest kind of fair or the fairest definition or description. Whereas icons are actually a very specific uh, situation wherein we have the whole structure. We have, we have the idea of representing, firstly, it has to be said, it is a sacred Christian art. Mm 
not, not mm, any, not just yes. sacred art, because uh, there are other sacred arts. So it's not sacred Buddhist art or any other art, but Christian art through uh, the, the, the heavy structure and, and the rules that we kind of whether like to believe they are imposed on us or imposed on ourselves, the rules that we call canons. And that is all like uh, a different uh, ball of game to talk about. Mm. But we have to adhere to them if we want to call something an icon. If we do not, then we can come up with the most wonderful religious painting of the world. We can get the Blake Prize in Australia. We can uh, be Leonardo da Vinci who makes the, I don't know, Last Supper. And that's all phenomenal as art, but that is not an icon because icons, uh, an icon has a very specific way of presenting the world. So there we come to the third definition, I guess, what makes, what you asked earlier in our conversation, what makes icons different to the religious art? Yes. Well, uh, in a nutshell, maybe uh, in a, an open, non-iconic religious art, anybody and everybody is free to present uh, saints, Christ, Mary, scenes from Christianity in any way whatsoever. There are no rules, mm. simply in religious art, whether traditional or, or new, especially the contemporary or modern, there are no rules. So you decide to come up with Christ in a purple gown or Christ uh, laughing or smiling, that's perfectly all right from that point of view, from that angle. But in icons, actually, you, you can't do that. Uh, you can't do what you would like to maybe. For instance, you feel like painting Christ, uh, I don't know, with blue eyes and laughing and smiling and uh, I don't know, in any kind of other situation. So you present it like that as it has been represented in especially Protestant art, uh, in America especially. And it brings uh, a nice memory to one of my workshops when I said, well, in icons, to the students in the icons, the, the facial features are, unlike in other religious paintings, are never like a blue or green, like meaning eyes uh, specifically. They're always kind of brown, auburn or something like that. Interesting, yeah. And one lady said, but Michael, it's a common knowledge, our Lord had blue eyes. Uh, that is <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, this is the famous so-called Aryan uh, concept of Christ, Christ with okay. blue eyes, Christ that we can sort of identify with, Christ who smiles or loves or who is relaxed, who is this or the other, whatever. But it is not a traditional icon the way the Byzantium, that glorious culture of uh, over 1,000 years, uh, uh, was representing things. So what, what actually icons try to achieve? Uh, the religious art in general tries to, especially of the West, uh, that we have to distinguish now, uh, tries to depict the, the events from the Gospels, from the Christian drama, in uh, so-called historical way. Uh, how would I say? The way they think uh, events happened uh, 
2,000 years ago, mm. the way they think apostles looked like and all sorts of things like that, the way they think Christ looked like and also. That's all very fine, uh, but that is the so-called the human nature of Christ. So we are depicting just one part of Christ and, and the, mm, the other protagonists of the, on the Christian drama. We are painting them as, as people. So as normal people like you and I. So when Christ is depicted in a crucifixion in the Western art, he is obviously suffering enormously, profusely. He's bleeding heavily, he, he's in agony. We are kind of empathizing with him and that's all fine. But this is only one side of Christ. This mm. is the human nature of Christ. Icons don't worry about that. It is, it is phenomenal, it is spectacular that the icons from the very beginning of Christianity chose to depict the, the Christian drama, again I'll use that word, uh, that expression, in order to show us not the saints and Christ and Mary uh, as humans like they are today among us or like they were 2000 years ago, but as already sanctified, mm -hmm. as already beginning to another realm, transfigured. Yeah. So to, how, how do you do that? So they try to actually we go back to Christ. We said the West depicts just the human nature of Christ. The East tries to depict the fusion of uh, human and divine natures yeah. of Christ without confusion and without separation. It is nice as a... I don't know, That's definition, profound. statement, all this. And it's an old statement, it's not mine. But uh, it is an impossible task. Because why it is impossible? Because we know for sure that it is impossible to paint the divine or yeah. to depict <laughs> the divine. We, we know that, we accept that, we, it is the premise we kind of uh, consciously use. But so what, what are we doing? We are trying to uh, get as closer as we can in icons uh, depicting that kind of fusion uh, by distorting the reality of this world. That means uh -huh. we do depict saints as kind of human beings. There is anatomy there. there, there is, you know, facial features are recognizable, but there is definitely an element of distortion, not only because of the elongation of figures or sometimes the other way around, making them smaller or shorter, just simply not uh, anatomically plausible, not ana anatomically uh, realistic. The way they look like, the way they are depicted is different from this reality. Then the architecture is deliberately distorted uh, to the point that it looks like a surrealistic kind of background, backdrop. And that is what you asked me about, uh, we can mention that about yes. the the perspective. So the perspective of the, in, or rather the perspective in the Western art is of the horizon that starts uh, and finishes, uh, starts from where we are, from the viewer's point of view, and finishes somewhere in the horizon, disappearing there. But uh, the, the icon painters or icon writers, as people like to call them, use the uh, different types of perspective, one of which is the main one, which is the inverse perspective, making you part of the, the viewer, that is, mm. uh, part of the, the icon that you are seeing, 
and then there, there is no horizon uh, basically that is showing anywhere. Uh, there is simply an ether or the golden background is two-dimensional, so to say. Yeah. So uh, the icon is not disappearing anywhere. The saint is there with you uh, and you're both disappearing in, uh, in some sort of imaginary, if you like, cosmos or whatever you like to call yeah. it, divine realm. And that is also where you asked me why our icons are called the windows to eternity or windows to the, to the kingdom, uh, capital K. Uh, it is because precisely when the parishioners, uh, especially, I mean, the parishioners in the church, let's say Orthodox church, yeah. stand in front of the iconostasis, which is a must for any Orthodox church, Christian church, and Melkite, uh, mm -hmm for instance, uh, then uh, they are seeing the world basically of icons which is completely surrealistic, different from this world and that is exactly the world that we hopefully all Christians are aspiring to. So the icons are those means uh, to yeah. kind of basically show us or indicate or hint what is behind really. Beautiful. And that is why we call it the windows to eternity. Yeah. Um, I love good, that. Yeah, it is yeah. wonderful. But there is even some more than that, Shabal. Uh, a good friend of mine, a monk, priest, uh, Father John McPherson, had a tremendous idea. He says, yes, but on top of that, imagine windows to eternity. Imagine you are gazing through the window. Yes, you are seeing through the window, through some sort of eternity and whatever is behind the glass. But you also see the reflection of yourself, which is wonderful because wow. you are part of the, um, how would I say, part of the attempt. You, you are the attempt yourself of going to that kind of eternity. And you can see that uh, you can see yourself, your reflection there on the window through which you want to go to, to the eternity or you, through which you see uh, like the hints of eternity. Uh, so you are part of that story. Yes. So you can see yourself going uh, there. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Experience. Uh, so now, all of those most wonderful... I will go back to the other elements of icon, uh, but um, before I forget... Um, all of those wonderful statements and wonderful uh, definitions, they're all uh, terribly exciting and uh, <laughs> eloquent and whatnot and uh, erudite. But let us not forget, you and I here are now talking about icons. So these are not icons. This is our talk about icons. So now I'm conveying you, trying to tell you what I think icons are, and yeah. I'm trying to tell you my experience about icons, but this is the verbal intellectual situation. So my, and it is my own. And now what I want to say that there is no categorical or categoric definition, definition that has to be accepted unanimously about what an icon is. The icon is what do you want it to be? So f meaning, for me, after 53 years of doing them, it is one thing, and for somebody who started yesterday who has no idea about what he is doing, it is completely another thing. Mm. Somebody 
uh, takes it on with great reverence. Somebody, like I had a couple of art teachers in my classes, when they saw the icon, the, the print of uh, Saint Luke that we are to make, uh, they said, and who is the dude? Well, uh, that's what it is. So people react yeah. differently to different things. So uh, now to just briefly touch on, I, I touched on architecture. I can touch on landscape as well. Behind the saint or something, the landscape uh, is uh, mostly lunar, uh, looking like lunar or similar, uh, deliberately, as I said, distorted so that it shows the reality of some other kind of context, not of this world. So these are not the real mountains, these are not the real trees. There are some strange, odd trees, and the stranger and the odder the whole thing looks like, the more iconic actually it is. <laughs> so yeah. the objects as well, like they're all, as I said, part of that uh, uh, different, two, three different types of perspectives. And uh, also the icon can have uh, uh, many different uh, focal points which is something imminent to Cubism, if you like. So mm -hmm. they are precursors to Cubism, it can be said. They are precursors to Surrealism, because they use these things. And they are precursors to actually Expressionism in art. Uh, for instance, you would have, let's say, um, something uh, color, let's say, ochre or yellow. And then on top of that, the highlight is blue or green. It is... Uh, something that we show, we saw being used in the Expressionism uh, or German Expressionism that started as uh, the, the, how they say, the, the beginning of the big movement that tries to this day. Uh, that kind of uh, thing uh, of painting complementary colors on, on certain colors is stuff that icons did from the 12th century mm. or 13th century and nobody talks about it. So icons are very innovative, uh, yeah. very modern, etc. and so forth. They also use bold red colors, but those red colors are neither the uh, symbol of communism nor the boldness of some sort of courageous take on life in the world, but they're the symbols of divine. Red is the symbol of divine in icons, symbol of martyrdom and the symbol of resurrection. Mm, so we have to know exactly what are we doing. When yeah. so that's why I said you cannot uh, paint icons the way you just feel like. No. So there for are instance, rules. There are rules. So if you, you have to study these, is that something you have to? You, you have to know that in order to yeah. claim that you are Yes. Uh, getting anywhere with icons, so to say. Well, I have to, I have to yeah. bring up yeah. my attempt of an icon, and this was about 20 years yes. ago, thanks yes. to Father Chris showing me. Yes. Uh, I don't know if the camera can see this, uh, Miguel, but um, it's, it's not complete. <laughs> it's St. It's Luke. Um, following some of the rules, it's, I still got to do the, the background and, and the gold plate and sign it and the shades of the skin. There's a bit of cockroach, uh, cockroaches were eating a bit of the pain. <laughs> but, you know, what, what do you think, Michael? I've started, am I on track here? Can I, how do I improve this one? <laughs> I, I don't know about improving. It's about uh, never letting go, never, yes. let, never stopping in the course, uh, finishing so. what, you, what you start once. Well, yeah, I better finish because it's going <laughs> to remain unfinished if I don't. It's been That's 20 right. years, uh, still not complete. So, um, 
But anyway, that's, that's, uh, that. that's part of your experience. Yeah. That's okay. But on a board, and, and we want to talk about some of this. You touched on, we can't just talk about icons. Um, we also can't just, uh, you know, and I know you're passionate about this, just print off or, or look at a digital version of an icon. There is an experience that you uh, talk about of a real icon. Hmm. Can, can we just touch that? I mean, so, so the process in, in, in creating an icon, what, it's, it's not something you just sort of take a photo of and move on. It's not a quick sort of uh, 20 minute sketch. Tell us about what goes into these and, um, because it's, it's profound detail. Uh, <clears throat> yes, um, <clears throat> if I, um, uh, uh, how would I say, if I say the way it is, it would sound a little bit uh, too dramatic and too okay. uh, presumptuous, maybe, to somebody, but it isn't. Let's say, before I answer that, uh, I will just uh, start with an analogy. Yes. We all go to, to the dentist and uh, then that dentist, whoever he or she is, does the job in, let's say, 20 to 30 minutes, more or less. And if it is like a minor problem, then we say thank you, we pay, we sometimes pay too much, we think, or whatever. Then we go home and uh, maybe we can talk, think of the dentist as somebody who did his or her job in 20 minutes. But uh, to get there, that dentist, whoever he or she is, uh, had to study for seven years the mm -hmm. dentistry then uh, needs minimum 10 years of practice to, to know what they are doing r properly without really having problems. Uh, and to be able to effect in 20 minutes what needs to be done without hesitation. There are no doubts. There is no room for doubts. Yeah. So why the analogy is because we are, um, how would I say, uh, very much focused to the linear time and mm -hmm. maybe even obsessed with linear time. So mm -hmm. the question that I often get, uh, if not all the time, is uh, how long does it take you to make an icon? And I, I really uh, have problems with that one. And I, I started writing about that. And I have texts that, that kind of try to answer the question. First of all, it is an impossible question to answer because it depends on uh, many factors, like uh, many variables are in the story, like uh, how big is the icon, how complex is the icon, is it just a head or, or 20 odd uh, figures in the scene, like a ascension or something like that. Uh, the size can be like two meters. My, my icons are sometimes two meters high or tall. So it is just an impossible question to answer. But this is not the point, and even those variables are not the point. Uh, because, for instance, you asked me about the first icon of the, that I have done, and I said, uh, St. Michael, uh, very linear, simple, uh, deluding myself that I did or made an icon, and I did. But this, this was just a scratching on the vastness of my ignorance uh, mm -hmm. as a beginner, as any beginner. So. I was simply unable to do anything better at that time. So the time factor, the time question was not on at all. So it doesn't really matter how long does it take you to make an icon. 
it, it is actually the whole your life that you put into that, your understanding of icons, that then you physically deliver in, I don't know what uh, question of weeks or months, depending on the piece. Yes. Yes. But it is not actually, again, go back uh, those weeks or months. It is the whole your life. Because at some point you are able to deliver something to make an icon really complex uh, to the point of ad getting admiration of, of everybody, uh, as opposed to the beginning of the, the most simple thing that really anybody can do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a complex question. But the thing is, uh, what you and I talked about is my issue with the, um, how would I say, with overuse of reproductive uh, so-called icons or mm. religious art. Uh, when or where we can avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, when somebody alive with all their life experience and knowledge and, and in good intentions and and all this uh, enormous effort tries to to make something really decent that should show kind of thing and that energy of the the maker who is considered not not really just a maker but let's more like an instrument of something that goes through you uh, uh, comes to in a form of a finished so-called icon that uh, thing is completely different from if I may yes, let's say uh, completely different from let's say where do we put it like this is it better uh, or yes, maybe that funny. there yeah it is completely different from the the original so here we have a wonderfully uh, reproduced from the printer's point of view from the photographer's yes. point of view wonderfully reproduced piece which uh, uh, consists of several so-called betrayals to to the reality uh, the first one is the first betrayal is by the photographer meaning the, the best photographer in the world will make the, the best photo reproduction of the original, mm -hmm. but it, it cannot ever be exactly as the original by the nature of it. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with the, with the abilities of the photographer or uh, quality of the camera. It, it just simply is not the same thing. And it always uh, finishes by being relatively flat as opposed to, to the, the original. Then we get the printer who is uh, doing his uh, their, their job with the printing means, and that, that again has to kind of uh, aims to reproduce that same photograph in a best possible way, and invariably finishes by doing something slightly different than the original, and all sorts of things like that. Whereas, so how how do you make a difference? Well, simply place this uh, reproduction next to the original and you will see what I'm talking about. So when you go to the church and you are a very devout Christian, you tend to kiss, you tend to touch the icon because you, you we Christians, we, we, we feel need to kind of get closer to the divine and be part of the mm. drama. 
people do that these days with reproductions because that's what they find, they, that's what they come across in churches. So my point that I'm trying to make is this. If the church and when the church or in an individual is poor enough or not rich enough to pay an ori original, I can understand the need for reproductions. But I uh, know from direct experience, uh, because that's my living, uh, I only do this, Yes. Uh, meeting with people, meaning and all this, I know that most of those people, not only that they can afford uh, uh, commissioning an icon for the, at least one icon for their home or something for the personal devotion or to donate it to the church where yes. it would be duly revered if you like, those people, many of those people can buy me uh, the way I sit here in this chair, let alone my icon. So, mm. so it is not about just that money that I don't even like to mention so much. It is about uh, availability, about the, the information, about the, the knowledge that those things can be found, can be commissioned, can be acquired. And many people told me that we didn't actually know it was possible. We thought it was mm. only possible in churches and that it only goes to the churches, but we didn't know that the personal devotion is also just Miguel, we can show another one. Thank you, yeah, if you like. It is a beautiful. Uh, so I, 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 uh, I am and sorry. You've got different I styles here, and uh, let's talk about that. This is what, a, what is this one? This called? is incredibly important uh, thing, and I completely forgot to mention because we are talking about something else. <clears throat> uh, this is the icon called uh, Dodeca Orton, or Christ and Dodeca Orton. Dodecorton means 12 feasts in the Greek language. It's okay. the type of icon of Christ with, that's kind of variable, 12 feasts, his own feasts from his life okay. around him. Could be less, could be more, but usually 12. And uh, uh, this, strange enough again, is the first and still the only icon of this sort in Australia. I don't know why nobody wanted to take on this kind of complex thing. Mm -hmm. And also it's good for our talk to know that I uh, felt confident enough and uh, how they say good enough to do this only after let's say 45 years of doing this wow. before I, I, I wouldn't even consider it, uh, uh, I wouldn't even have it for consideration to do something like that. So. I had to be ready. And uh, when I was ready a few years ago, I just did it. And I am delighted and elated that I have done that. And the next one that I will do will be of Mary or, or Theotokos, Mother of God with 12 feasts around as well. Wow, Again, that good. would be like the equivalent or counterpart yeah. of this same one. So the, the original, how, how large is the original? Uh, one meter by 70 centimeters. Wow. And okay. so to say, unfortunately, it was uh, commissioned by one of my greatest uh, clients, an individual, uh, uh, good Catholic, who uh, keeps it in his home. And uh, I decided from this point on uh, that I will not actually uh, do these kind of complex projects anymore for individuals 
but uh, for the churches yeah. or public places where those things are uh, accessible to wider yes. public, I believe. Yes. Uh, not because I would like to, how they say, uh, uh, spread the, the greatness of my own work, but just because it is an important thing which we don't have much in Australia. No. So if we keep it only private, only individual, it is okay, but it, is, it remains as the individual devotion, yes. isn't yes. it? Like it is maybe time for, uh, in this particular era that we are, where we need more of a boost, the evangelical kind of boost, that we uh, get more in touch with the representations of the divine. I agree. So this was the Christ, and the, in, the, in the center is my replica, or my version of the famous Christ from uh, Sinai, the sixth century, considered the oldest, uh, uh, well, one of the oldest icons uh, in the history. And uh, uh, the, the Christ with, with the famous asymmetrical eyes. By the way, asymmetry is one of the points of the Byzantine uh, art, if oh, you like, okay. uh, iconic art, that is. So this is that bit, but we also needed to show to the public, if possible, just briefly at least, uh, the icon of Mother of God, Theotokos or, or Mary that we call her in the Catholic kind of vernacular or lingo. Uh, it is important because, again, uh, when the Western art is depicting Mary, and Mary with child especially, we always depict her in a most tender and uh, well-intentioned way of uh, making her looking beautiful, young and all this that, that she was. Mm -hmm. But again, this is just her human nature. Yes. Now, what the, the icons do is they always depict her in a way that she's concerned, she's apprehensive, because even if she's with a child who is playful or, or not playful, uh, she's constantly uh, worried and apprehensive about his future passion on the cross. That is completely unique to the, to the icon mm, world. So uh, she's never smiling. People in icons, uh, saints, Christ, Mary, they're never smiling. Their uh, lips are closed in some sort of uh, eternal uh, kind of tacit uh, silence that uh, holds certain mystery. So because smiles and uh, other uh, expressions would make them more human. And remember, we wanted to depict them as sanctified, already yes. being outside of this world that we are mm. here. And the, maybe the last one, I just mentioned something. Uh, it, it is not an icon, and it is good for our public to see that, because there is nothing iconic about that. It is a crucifixion based on famous Gauguin's crucifixion or the so-called Yellow Christ by Gauguin, wherein I inserted the Uluru. Uh, I want, I'm showing this to show that this is art. So in art, everything is possible. Everything is admissible and it's mm -hmm. all fine. It looks maybe interesting, very attractive. Many people found it attractive, stuff like this. It was even displayed in the Blake Prize uh, one year. But this is not an icon because it does not conform to those 
uh, intricacies in the structure yeah. that we need from uh, from the from the art and it shows more like of the artisticness of the man who made it rather than uh, a higher truth yes so an icon painter has to uh, sacrifice his own thoughts on the subject when he's depicting something from from the iconic kind of uh, spectrum say for instance yes. uh, we know that uh, judas is uh, like theologically taken as a traitor and uh, and then so when when in icons you depict judas you always have to depict judas we can even find it in the book uh, in full profile and uh, i an icon never shows people in profiles always shows people even if there are three quarters profiles you have to have the communion or communication with both eyes you have to see both ah, eyes okay. of the saint yeah. the theologically the full profile is considered as a as absence or the sin and that's why uh, judas was basically branded or castigated in the iconic world by being in the profile oh. when in the last supper that's kind of scene yeah Fascinating. now just in closing I wanted to give a taste that you're working on. Uh, now, the Icon uh, book is out now, and people can see that, but you are now releasing, uh, working on something in the future. We're gonna give a sneak peek, but uh, to show m more of your icons, and, and just to sort of give a little overview, this is just a, a sampler, but, um, and again, these are sort of images of your original work, which are displayed across the country. Uh, we don't really know the amount uh, out there, no. but, it's somewhere in the hundreds, <laughs> hundreds and hundreds. But, but you have, uh, you know, these different ones. Just very quickly, uh, if we, we haven't got much time, but uh, this one here, the Annunciation. Yes, I, I, I would need to maybe then clarify. The, uh, the first book that you mentioned was published in 2000, by the end of 2006. It is now time after 15 or so years to publish the next one which uh, will contain an altogether new material okay and it will be much more ambitious project much bigger and uh, hopefully done with parousia maybe as a publisher but uh, the point is that the book will be uh, uh, is con the conceived the way it's um, divided in segments the first one is the annunciation yes announcing the 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 good tidings. Then the next one is the Son of Man uh, about Christ. Yeah, the Son of Man. And uh, the next one is uh, uh, Theotokos or Mother of God. The next one is uh, uh, selected uh, icons. Then we have the Uluru kind of uh, segment. And finally, the major projects. So, uh, it is a, a very kind of, uh, as I said, ambitious project, but uh, it should contain everything or most of the things that I have done in the last uh, 16, 17 years, I guess. Wow. You've been busy, I have to say. You have been very, very busy. And it's been, what a wonderful contribution. Um, there's so much the saints, uh, Our Lady, Our Lord. Uh, it's just, it, it, it does exactly what you say. It, it takes you out of this world into the divine it, it, it really draws you above to the supernatural it, it's, it's not something you just look at and flick past and i'm not doing it justice here no, we're just trying to help our viewers and listeners to, to appreciate what it is that goes into an icon but what is the icon doing as well 
sort of perpetually ongoing, uh, eternally. It's, it's a beautiful um, concept. That's an ancient concept too. For the yes. last two thousand years, we've got yes. icons in our church history. Um, you you uh, managed to even take your artwork and, and the icons, and you created cards. And then behind us here, we've got um, just a, a selection of some of your of your work in in card card form. So they're, they're available too. Uh, we have them on our website, Parisia website, um, and they're good quality cards. People can use for birthdays or anniversaries or whatever that. I love giving, um, you know, Saint Nicholas on, on Christmas, and I love doing, uh, you know, Easter and, and all those themes or ordination feasts. But yeah, they're wonderful, wonderful. Uh, look, I, I can't speak highly enough, um, uh, Michael, about your work. I, I want to thank you for everything you've done. I hope we can do this again, <laughs> maybe a part two, and have a, a proper uh, display of everything. But any just final thoughts uh, as we close here? Um, for our viewers and listeners to take away? Um, <clears throat> well, first, I'm really grateful for this uh, possibility to again talk about icons. But uh, I, I guess what we mentioned, what we touched on earlier, the difference between the original and the uh, reproductions in any form can be best seen at some presentation here, uh, possibly wherein I would bring that. some originals so that people would really understand what I'm talking about. Yes, let's do so that. So they can see the, the icons from close, have a close inspection and understand better what goes into making them and uh, get a better appreciation of what are we talking about here. Absolutely. And so maybe one day we do the presentation uh, later in the year, I that don't know. That would be wonderful. Mm. Absolutely. So our website, people can see your, you have a website, michaelgalovich.com? That's right. And but mostly my work, uh, because the, that website is terribly obsolete, uh, not updated for years. Uh, the best is to go to YouTube. Therein, okay. you just uh, type in Michael Galovic, and you will get a number of video clips, especially the film called Short Happy Life of Michael Galovic, and uh, that will show you basically the spectrum of what I do. Thank you so much again. Well, I've got a feeling when I see you again more often and your artwork. So thank you again. God bless you. Pleasure. And I want to thank everyone. Thanks. I hope you uh, were inspired and, and learned a little bit about icons today, um, as I have. Um, and the journey continues. This is only the beginning. Um, get in touch with us. Please pray for his work and visit us at perusiamedia.com. Get one of these cards that you see behind me. Um, they're a great gift for others. Um, and until next time, we, please pray for this project for, for book number two. And, and uh, go out there and see some of these icons. Uh, there, aren't, there, there are a lot in, in the sense of a few hundred, but still not many as, as far as the landscape of Australia would love to make sure that uh, this becomes a legacy and, and it becomes revived again. Let's do that. So God bless you. I'm Shabal Raish. Until next time, take care.